0: Are you looking to take your knowledge of faith to the next level? Oh, yeah. You've come to the right place. Welcome to Post-Christian Pastors, broadcasting from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The podcast hosted by four pastors as they discuss
1: relationships, faith, pop culture, current issues, and much, much more.
0: Welcome to Post-Christian Pastors. Uh, We're glad that you joined us today for episode 19, which uh, is going to be uh, a time of, um, man, talking about some really hard stuff, uh, some things uh, going on in our culture right now. This episode uh, is being recorded one day after the uh, tragic shooting in Las Vegas, where 59 people at this point, as of the recording... Have lost their lives and over 500 people have been injured. And um, I'm Mark Helsel, along with John Price and Marv Nelson. Marv, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to glad to have you back. We missed you last time, but uh, yeah. But uh, it is uh, it is a somber day in our in our uh, nation, and uh, as we deal with yet another mass shooting, I think we recorded a podcast right after the Orlando. Shooting was that a year ago? Yeah, a year, yeah, you know, a little over a year ago in June, I think it was. And and so, uh, man, uh, this is getting old. And uh, the original focus of this podcast was going to be on outrage, and it was going to be on kind of the division in our in our culture. And we're still going to talk about some of that, but we don't want to equate that with the shooting. Um, yeah. But we are going to talk about in the second half of the podcast. Where uh, we have a guest coming on who who has uh, done a lot of peacemaking and things like that, and he's going to help us work through some issues in our culture of uh, and how we as Christians can uh, bring about peace and work towards peace and cooperate with God to work towards peace. But before we get to him, um, let's talk about let's talk about the shooting. And I guess I want to open up uh, as of right now, as of the recording. Of this podcast um, The guy who was responsible for this shooting um, Has no As of they know right now And it doesn't seem Have any ties to any hate groups Or ideological groups Or terroristic groups Um, As a 64 year old man Wealthy, white um, Who was a Kind of professional gambler After being an accountant His whole life And, And so when you look at his life There doesn't There doesn't seem to be this um, overarching reason
2: of why. Seemed to have good relationships. Uh Like had a girlfriend. girlfriend. Not a loner. Not a loner. Neighbors said he was a likable guy. I mean, it's just, it's his brother is like at a loss. Can't even, can't even.
0: Right. So I've seen a lot of people saying, I've seen a lot of people saying, well, he doesn't fit the profile. He doesn't, he doesn't fit. He doesn't have a motive. Um All these things, and as I've listened to people, m- media and other people desperately search for a reason i uh I keep coming back to what if it is just um the emptiness of a human soul or the depravity of a human soul, and that any of us
3: uh-huh.
0: are capable of anything in our lives and we can get to a point where life seems meaningless. And we could actually then take the lives of other people and our own. And, uh, you know, it becomes meaningless, like Ecclesiastes says, or or we, uh, you know, or we, we wrestle with that scripture, which says, you know, the human heart is wicked above all things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to get you guys to weigh in on that, because I think over these next weeks, people are going to be searching for a why. And uh, kind of before the show, we talked about this a little bit. And we said, you know, one of you guys said that, uh, you know, that, we're always looking for something outside of ourselves, mm-hmm. but what if the reason is inside of ourselves? So right. I would love to hear you guys comment on that a little bit.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, it's a, it's a really heavy topic and many times when, when this type of things hap this type of thing happens, there's a huge tendency for people to manipulate and make up ideas and reasons. Um, you know where there's a high politicization of everything that's going on in our right. nation. That someone is going to use this as a soapbox for whatever, like um, gun control, yeah, or or, or non-gun control. Like, right. see this: if people had guns, they would have been able to shoot this guy. Or you know, because he has guns, he was able to shoot people. It's like, wait, let, let's let's try and step back because our, our our nation right now is just in in. Just a horrendous stripping of of uh, humanity together. Uh, there's this so much disunity in and out of the church. Um, but but I think when it when it comes to this situation, we have to look and say, you know, there there was no medication necessarily that we know of. There was yeah, no, at this point. There was no mental illness that we are clearly aware of. There, there's all of the things that we've used to that we have used to blame. For situations like this are not. There's no money issues. There. There's no. no. There's no like societal. He wasn't like ostracized,
0: ostracized or yeah, anything. He he yeah.
4: was playing hundred dollar, hundred dollar poker machines for at, f- four days at the hotel, right? Right. right. I mean, so I, I think we do have to look and say, you know what? The human soul is capable of anything, for good or for ill, right? And, and, but see that and, doesn't play very well. No, because in our society, then that, because then we've that lost. personalizes it, right? Because right. then they have to look and say, "Wow, like could I do something like that?" And and you know what? Without Jesus, you know, without Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwelling me, I know I could right because i've had those thoughts i think people have had those thoughts like oh man i'm just gonna run that guy off the road because he just cut me off (laughs) right Right? i'm just gonna like i'm gonna do like one of those terminator movies and just like bump his car so he knows he messed with the wrong person i mean like that's a stupid example but that thought alone if entertained long enough and not brought under the blood or or admitted to somebody you know that that could turn into a realistic thing right and maybe he was sitting in the hotel for four days and he's like this concert is annoying it's been Going on for three days, right, <laughs> right. I, and maybe it's as simple as annoyance we don't know right but but the reality is is that the human soul is broken, the human soul is dark, and in my opinion, and I believe in your opinions, the only answer to that is the light of Jesus Christ, right, right. um you know not that we need to use this moment as a come to Jesus stand on the soapbox thing because that's the wrong response too at this point, I think um I saw someone to do that on Facebook, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's a really great sentiment." But we mm-hmm. need to sit with people in their lament and grief before we try to pull them out of it. Right. Uh, they need to know that we can sit with them in their pain, because uh, Jesus sits with us in our pain. Right. And uh, and so I think that that at this point, my my goal is to sit with the nation in its pain. Um, I haven't put anything on Facebook because. Everything that comes to mind, I know, would be skewed div- in some divisive manner, and, and I just like, right. even if I said pray for Las Vegas, right? If I <laughs> right. if I say something like that, people are like, "Well, what what are you saying?" Like, right. <laughs> literally, all I'm saying is pra- so. I haven't I haven't put anything on there just because of that. So, my thought is, I agree with you, the wickedness yeah. of the soul. Yeah, John, thoughts from you?
2: No, I, I mean, I agree with with all of that. I think that you know, both Christians and non Christians want to believe that that people are ultimately good uh-huh. that's what you know kind of pop psychology says that's what our culture says I'm pe- okay you're okay that people yeah you know that people are ultimately good and you know we don't want to dismiss the reality that scripture says that all people are made in the image of God absolutely and they they can they even in our, even the fallen nature of mankind, we still have vestiges of that image. Totally, but we deceive ourselves if we don't understand what Scripture t- says: is that every aspect of us mm-hmm. is is impacted by the fall. I mean, uh, something they'll just call it total depravity. It's not that right. we're totally bad, no. but every part of our being has been affected by the fall. John Calvin. Right. And so there's this depravity in us, and Jesus speaks to it. Jesus says, you know, you know when you are angry with your brother, <laughs> you are committing murder, right? right. He, he Jesus gets right to the point and says, your heart is the problem, uh-huh. Right. It's it's not it's not your brother, right. <laughs> it's not the stuff that's going on in your environment. Right. It's your heart. Uh-huh. Out of the heart comes all kinds of deceit, right? Right. Um, and so we just don't want to. We don't want to deal with that, right? We don't want to. Uh, we don't want to. We don't want to. Whether a Christian or not, we don't want to affirm that because right. it's ultimately terrifying. Because yeah, what do you do with that? Right. It's ultimately terrifying.
0: Right. I think you know i think I think that um in America, even with christians uh there is a lack of an understanding of how deep sin goes oh absolutely uh sin is not like, in fact we don't even believe in sin anymore, a lot of, no. a lot of even even Christians don't talk about it, but where we we've we've if we do believe in it, we've marginalized it to well, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do, <laughs> you know like that's kind of. You know, that kind of moralistic thing, rather than understanding a theology of our brokenness uh-huh. and realizing this brokenness runs so deep that a guy playing $100 poker machines and owns two houses and had a good living as an accountant, has a girlfriend, could murder, you know, I mean, he only, mur- he only murdered 59 people, but he shot into 22,000. So he was trying to murder right, many more. So we we praise and thank God that it wasn't more. But but the guy was how could you do that in your mind? You think how could a person do this? But the scripture never never says how could a man do this. It right. says man could do this. Yeah, <laughs> right. I
4: mean, well, I mean, and and people are afraid to to deal with that again, like even in their own minds. You know, you think through that process, but you know, I, I think too, it, our hearts are revealed with our words. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think we talked about. Um, when we were dealing with the racism issue, people's you know the, the the truth of people's hearts comes out of their mouth, as Scripture says. I mean, and what people are saying about this situation are revealing where their hearts are too. Because are they concerned with the dead people, the hurt people, or are they concerned about an agenda? Um, you know, just kind of bringing this to the idea of outrage too. I know this is this might be a rough transition, but there was a, a, a CBS reporter who put on her Facebook. I'm not going to mourn for any of those people that died because most people who listen to, um, you know, country music are Republicans and they voted for Trump. Right. I mean, and you're just like... Well, I texted that to Matt Nelka, who was yeah. works
0: for the news agency, <clears throat> who uh, was on our previous right. podcast, and he, he was just like, see what I mean? Yeah. Like This is... This is how everything can get politicized.
4: and right. it can yeah. become and she was fired and rightfully so because like and then she she tries to backtrack and say oh I didn't mean that well, yeah yeah you did right like people right. And, and it's just like the guy who was was ticked off at Mike Tomlin the fire chief who was like you know I'm not gonna I can't I can't say it I can't stop saying it anymore this and he said the n word and he's like right. yeah there I said it. And then he's like, oh, I didn't mean that. Wait, right. yes, 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 you did. <laughs> yes. Like, and, right,
0: that stuff can come out of right. your heart, because right. that's
4: what's in right. your heart, and, comes what comes out of your mouth. And what happens is when
2: we say stuff like that, when it, once it comes out, there's also a part of us that realizes...
4: Oh, that shouldn't be there.
2: That shouldn't be there, right? Whether we are Christian or not, there's a part of us that that, that realizes, oh, that shouldn't be there. And so then I'm backtracking because that's not really what I meant. Well... But it is. It, but it is. Yeah. Right. And that just re- reveals the depth of uh, of the, the
4: sin in our heart. And, and I mean, I know that that's not necessarily moving into actions, but if that's just one snippet into right. what people, oh, I would never say that. Right. Well, yeah, you, you would, and you right. did, because right. you actually feel that and believe that.
0: Sunday, uh, this past Sunday at church, we, we started three weeks on it's saying it seems weird now, but we started three weeks on compassion mm-hmm. and uh we just talked about how you know w- we're called to become uh experts in a sense in compassion to seek compassion to seek to be compassion so we we con- compared and contrast the story of jesus's compassion and jonah's lack of compassion mm-hmm. and uh we talked about not being a jonah and uh don't don't pursuing a heart like jonah and uh I mean, compassion in our culture um, seems to be at a low. I mean, I know there are people doing great things. Mm -hmm. I know there are people, and I don't want to let the media, you know, over exaggerate things because everything bad is going to be front and center. But there are people doing amazing compassionate things. And we have seen also an amazing outpouring of compassion with hurricanes and Mm -hmm. natural disasters over these last month or so. Um, Absolutely, but compassion seems to be losing out to politics yeah. at times, and it's really disturbing. It's it's really and there's a lot of division in our. I mean, the original focus of this podcast was going to be on kind of the the anthem. And the outrage over, you know, people kneeling during the anthem. And here in Pittsburgh, uh, I mean, it reached an all-time oh, crazy frenzy. Yeah. People burning their Steeler jerseys. I mean, just outrage yeah. over. And two, it, it seems always like two sides just outraged at each other. Yeah. And there's no way to solve these problems issues that's what it seems like and the sad
4: part about the whole anthem thing is that people are getting mad over something that they're that the people are not saying right i mean they're just simply saying hey like there's inequality we just want to make sure that's known not that we're trying to go against the flag or whatever but i mean what's crazy about like you talk about the lack of compassion um i was made aware of uh, a, a really great uh organization who uh because of this whole anthem thing and this politicized nature, they lost huge donors because of just that. So
0: Christian it, ministry. Christian ministry. They lost huge donors work, yeah. because of
4: because people of kneeling anthem. at the anthem. Because they're right. connected to. Simple as that.
2: Yeah. An NFL team.
4: Yeah.
0: Now, we might, disagree, we might disagree on this. We haven't talked about how we each feel about that. Um, I think we would all affirm that everybody has the right to protest, to yep. peaceful peaceful protest yeah that's a that's a god not a god-given right but it's a, an american given right uh that we have the right to do that and we would never want to see that taken away uh, we have westboro baptist coming yeah uh, to, to our city here sure. this week right yeah yeah, yeah. So this week so as much as we despise that and as much as we go this is wrong yeah we don't want to remove their right to protest because the moment the moment they start to lose their right to peaceful protest we then ours. we lose ours right. so so we would all affirm that i think all three of us we've talked about this here in, in previous podcasts we would all affirm that that there are injustices in our society there are racial injustices there are economic injustices, there are all kinds of injustices yeah. systematic yep. and personal mm-hmm. and um and we've come a long way, but we're not there yet. Right. Uh-huh. And so I think all of us would affirm that if you can affirm that, listen to this podcast, I think you need to need to spend a little more time looking into actual issues and really, really finding out where the injustices are. Cause I think it's, it's burying your head in the sand to believe that there isn't. So I guess where we might differ, I don't know. We haven't talked about this. so Let's talk about now is that for me, the first two things are true but I think doing it during the anthem was hurting your cause because you were mixing a moment that for other people means so many other things that you lost your message in the in the you lost your message in the moment because maybe you picked the wrong moment and I've heard other people who totally agree with what the first two uh-huh. who said if you would have picked a different moment, I don't know when. I mean, literally. I, I mean, see, I've the- heard people say the NFL Players Association take out take out ads. Okay, right right after the anthem, take out take out some ads. People will watch them. People will see them, and and they would have more impact because people would actually maybe listen to your message yeah. other than being outraged at you kneeling because it's too personal for people it's my uncle or my dad who served here or it's a policeman or it's whatever and right. they they will never see but and we could say you should be mature enough to see past that but we all know the medium is the message and percep- perception is often reality yeah, sure. yeah. and so we well, let, can we can say you should be able to see past that right but you and i both know that if we got up in our pulpits and we started dropping F-bombs to make a point. People probably aren't going to hear our message. They're and not I, going to hear our message,
4: even though we might be totally right. We, I, might, we might be totally right. I hear what you're saying. I, I so think, that's my, I think a that's my premise. Colin Kaepernick, when he started this, sat down for three games in the anthem and no one noticed. Right, right, and he asked us, and then so one of his friends, who's actually a veteran who is in the military, because his friend now
2: actually wrote a letter to yeah. Colin. That's yeah. how, yeah. And That's he said,
4: he things. said, you know, it, it is kind of disrespectful sitting down. Right. He's like, but if you kneel. You're honoring it. I mean, w- soldiers, when when someone uh, dies or, you know, when, whenever there's an honoring of a person, they take a knee, right? right. It's, it's not a sense of I'm, I'm degrading you. He's like, but this, this will speak a louder message. And when he did that, it was noticed more than his sitting. And then they went back and saw, oh, he sat, 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 and right. kneeled. Um, and, and it was just a – it was an interesting way where he was actually trying to be respectful of the flag in the way in which he approached it. He at, he, he received some teachable um, you know, critique and he was, was teachable in it and, and changed. I, I think what, what happens with stuff like this is uh, – well, let, let me give you the second point. The reason why Colin chose it there is because that's the only place he has that much national attention. Uh, I get that. I understand
0: right. that. But I'm saying you're – but the problem is nobody's going to get past – that moment to actually hear what you have to say and
4: and and i i understand that but i think it only listen i my my dad is in the military my dad's a veteran my brother is currently in the military serving as a chaplain I signed up after 9-11 to be in the military, but God just didn't – that didn't transpire in my life. It's something I believe in. I I think the military is something that's necessary. Policing is something that's necessary. Um, But the flag is not the symbol of those people, right? I mean, it's something that we all unite under. But it's saying I'm not going to sing a song to a flag, which – Singing a song to a flag, in my mind, continues to grow idolatry. But that's another—we <laughs> sing songs to Jesus, and we sing songs to a flag, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I love the flag. I am a patriot, but I'm not going to make America my Jesus, okay? I get that and, point, too. That so, point's
0: valid, too. But
4: I think that this is, this is the fact, heart I of the problem. I feel the same way, but I, I do Here's the, the heart of the problem. Right. Here's the heart of the problem, is that we have so idolized American— life or we've so idolized American ideology that anytime someone touches it and says, I don't like this aspect, we flare up. And, and I think it, it, it's, not a, it's not bad to honor the flag. It's not bad to sing that song because we're rejoicing at what God has done for us as a country, right? And some of the stuff that we've done on our own because we like to do stuff on our own. But the point that I'm trying to say is is that I think this is pinpointing idolatry. So they pulled
0: right. out of the work of God based on their feelings about the anthem.
4: Yeah, and, and it was even like a minute connection to a connection to the person that was going against what they wanted that person to do. Right. Right. I mean, it's such a it's so minute and it's just stupid minutia, but people do it. Yeah. You know, people do that kind of thing. And so that to me says that person cared more about their patriotism Cared more about their American ideology than they did Jesus and the work of Jesus.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, the whole protest thing. I go. I think I go back and forth. I mean, I think there's definitely, you know, we have to we have to understand that they're not protesting the military, right? They're not protesting, you know. I understand that, John. First responders. But the medium is the message.
0: Huh? That's that's what they're running into,
2: right? And here's the here's the, so here's the question: is what what would be the appropriate protest? I mean, so that's the I, I think there's a there's a question there that you have to answer because it's like what's what's appropriate for them? How how is the appropriate way for them to right. protest? Can I,
0: you can you create a platform to do that?
2: Other than that moment. Right. But what is what is protest? I mean our, our country was founded <laughs> not on against protest. protest. I'm right? not against protest. No, but listen, our country was founded on protest, not just a peaceful protest. No, it was bloody. Our yeah, it was or it cost a lot of tea. It cost a lot of tea, right? <laughs> it was it was guys who were who who were dressed up, you know, who covered their faces, who didn't want to be known who they were, who who uh, went and destroyed property, Mm -hmm. and they protested, right? Mm -hmm. That's how our country was founded. I mean, was was that okay? Was it okay to protest that
0: way? I don't know, but, John, I want, like, the things that we're talking about, like, the things that a lot of these uh men are bringing up like injustices and things like that. I want them to be heard right like I want them to be heard Yeah, and I'm afraid that it, I, they're never going to be I understand that during I get, the anthem they're yeah. just too. never going to be heard
4: but when you have when you have a political leader who jumps in with his opinion and he has lots of people yeah, that well, that believe, was idiotic right but i mean but but here's the thing Here, my my question is why would a president call them sons of bitches for doing that but not call the dude that shot fifty nine people dead a son of a bitch, right right I mean so like what 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 is the right
0: because someone needs to stay off of twitter what 's the <laughs>
4: driving force i mean i 'm sorry for the the language I and mean, that's that's our no, president 's language it's what said but, yeah. but it's just a it 's a quandary of mine yeah. is did did he feel disrespected well uh, you know what I mean or did, did or did he really feel like the country is being disrespected because there has been very well Versed, thought out conversations with NFL people who said, We're not protesting the military. We love the military. We have veterans that support us, that love us, that watch our shows and watch our games. And we're really just saying, Hey, let's point out an issue. And we're doing it in a a way that we think can get national attention. And even Mike Tomlin, when asked why did they not go out for the – he's like, I don't want to be part of the division. He's like, I knew some of our guys were going to kneel. I knew some of our guys were going to stand. And so if we can avoid that whole visage of of division, we're not going to do it.
0: I get all those points. I get all those points. But, again, it's the anthem. And for people, that holds a deep, deep emotional connection. Because somebody died for that, they knew, somebody has suffered yeah. for that, or, or just the fact that they love their country. None of that is bad. No. And I'm I, what I'm saying is I, we, we obviously need to listen to each other better. Right. But I'm afraid that one side is not going to get heard because of the time you chose. And I don't know what the appropriate time is. That's a great question. Yeah. There are smarter people than me who could probably... Any. Who could probably uh, tell you that? But let, let me ask you this: so I, like, mean, I think that's if a- we were in the days of Martin Luther King. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Let's just say uh, during his protests, mm-hmm. if somebody burned a flag during his protests, I don't think he. I don't think would have been in favor of that. Right. I think he would have said, "You're not going to get your point across. Right. It's not going to help you. So it's just like. But nobody's burning a flag. No, I'm just saying uh, that's an example. Everybody, I'm not saying it's, it's a, the same. It's a peaceful
2: thing. protest.
0: Absolutely. I right? get. Well, burning a flag is burning a flag is not a peaceful. It's protected
2: though. It's not it's protected but it's not a peaceful that's not a peaceful protest. Uh-uh. I don't think uh, it is, but I think the people that disagree with us. Well, I, I think it's a it's a it's a allowable protest but it's not peaceful. Okay. Right? I, oh, I don't think it is either. Right. But I mean, I, I think people I um, think it is. And so yeah. I so I think, you know, I think there there's questions about that. It's like, you know, I mean, yeah, go back to Martin Luther King. I mean, um, you know, there are there are polls from back then that asked people if if they felt that the protests were in good, in good taste, if they were, you know. Across the board, white people <laughs> did not like the way that they protested. Right. right? I, guess, I, mean, I understand I It was that. like oh, well over 60%, maybe even over 70% in some cases, who said, no, they shouldn't be sitting at lunch counters. No, they shouldn't be, you know, um, boycotting the, the bus, buses. Right? No, they shouldn't be marching. I mean, th- that that was the... That was the overall understanding of the of the cultures. No, they they shouldn't. But how else were they? I agree with
0: with that. But that was mostly
2: white people that were outraged. And I I
4: think mostly
0: white people that are outraged. Is it because I, I? Are you are you sure?
4: I'm pretty I'm positive. just
0: saying, are there people across oh, sure. the whole spectrum are. who yeah. are going, I agree with you to protest. I, I think you have the absolute right to protest. I agree with what you're saying, but what you're choosing right now to sure. do is I, is messing yes. up your message. But let yeah, me, that's what let I'm, me ask you a question, too, yeah. so,
4: so let's just look at Rosa Parks real quick, right? Would her protest have meant anything if no one but black people were on the bus? No. Of course not. It was a busy time, a time that would make a point. That she could sit there where white people should have been in that in that time frame, but weren 't and it caused an issue right I, I it's timing is 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 proper, and we need to find the right timing. The way in which we do it is 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 something we need to think about, but I think Sometimes there are just going to be uncomfortable times to protest. And I'm not
0: saying we don't ever offend anybody. That's not what I'm saying either. Because Lord knows I offend people all the time here, (laughs) you know, in church. And that's good. It's like, good. I'm glad you're offended. I'm glad that you were offended that this happened. I'm glad that you're – because those things we need to get offended over, we need to get challenged on – and that but i just feel like the message was lost there. in where
4: that they decided the protest and that's here. a shame it is a shame but yeah. it's true and 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 so i i see what you're saying i'm trying to point out like time just uh, like westboro baptist right.
0: message okay like westboro baptist like some of what they say very little <laughs> but some it might be we could go orthodox it's correct some of it very little. Okay, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Like if you said this is right, this is wrong and I'm sure they have some things they say that are absolute actually right. Yeah. Okay? But their message is totally lost right. when they're standing right. outside of dead soldiers, yeah. dead yeah. soldiers funerals protesting. protesting. So I don't care if I was yeah. out there, if I was out there saying all good stuff. I could lose the message right. because it's I, inappropriate time. It, and, and see, it's I think I
4: think I think I would disagree with inappropriate time. I would agree that the message is lost. I think there needs to be an adjustment to the protest because the message is getting right. lost. And the message is lost for different reasons. I would say inappropriate time. It's it is
0: lost sometimes on people's own personal bias mm-hmm. and pe- people's desire to just turn a blind mm-hmm. eye to everything. So there are multiple reasons it's lost. Right. But but but. To, so take away as much of what you cause to try to help the message get out. I I don't know if I'm saying this right. I just feel like I really want these people to be heard, and I, I'm just sad that it's become a thing that they're not going to. Oh, be heard absolutely! Now. They're
2: I mean, not th-
4: going to be heard now.
0: It's just I, not.
2: I think that there's well
4: by the people that need to hear them, right? Yeah, they're not going to
2: hear. It. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a that's a very valid point. Um, I I also you know I think. You know, it, we have to we have to take kind of take a step back too, and kind of look at it and say, what am I so outraged about? Right? I mean, as to to Marv's point before, I mean, you know, I don't think it's in, inappropriate for people to to not like the fact that they've chosen that time to protest, but really, where is the outrage coming from? Right? Where? Right. Where? you know to not to not agree with what the, the time they've chosen and not like that to move from that to what Marv talked about in terms of defunding a christian ministry yeah, that's, that's wrong it's wrong but it's because of outrage mm-hmm. right. and where is that outrage placed you know and i think that's the issue that we need to really wrestle with is not whether we agree or disagree about the timing or the place of the protest or those type of things but what is causing such a deep visceral reaction against that right is it is it because what they're doing is so wrong or is there something else at play there that maybe we again going back to the whole heart issue yeah. need to deal with in our own hearts doesn't mean that we can't disagree with what with the timing or the place that they've done it right. but what is actually bringing about that visceral the visceral reaction that would cause people i mean i don't really care if they burn their Steelers jerseys, but that would cause people to burn their Steelers jerseys. You know, I mean, or pull money out from a Christian. I mean, there is something there that goes beyond just, I don't agree with this.
4: Yeah.
0: Well, most people, I think most people anyway, they live at a visceral level. They they don't go any deeper. They mm-hmm. they they are outraged because either people tell them they should be outraged, or it's their natural response, and they don't think any deeper. Right. Then that's what most people do, even with their Christianity. Mm-hmm. They have a visceral, emotional experience. They don't go any deeper. They don't develop no. any kind of theology about stuff or right. or why they believe this or why they believe that. And and that's that's on them. That's right. true. Well, hey, uh, we have a great guest coming up yeah, who's going to who's going to deal with. Um, division and going to talk about how do we make our way through these divisions, how do we make peace, how do we be a peacemaker. His name is John Huckins, and he wrote a great book called Mending the Divides, and he's going to be, and he's actually a practitioner of this. He's doing this in his everyday life all the time, and he's going to come on and be a great guest. So don't go anywhere. We're going to be back with John Huckins in a moment here on Post-Christian Pastors.
3: Cover up my heart, and cover up my soul, and cover up this world and everything I know. And cover up the sky, and cover up the sea, and cover up the mountain and every part of me and every single bit.
0: All right, welcome back here on Post-Christian Pastors. Hey guys, I'm really excited for our guest today. Um, excited to hear what he has to say. And I got to read his book, and his latest book, and it's really good. It has a lot to say about um, what we've been talking about, about division and about a lack of compassion and all kinds of things like that. So his name is John Huckins. Uh, John is a pastor and an author And also a leadership coach. He's also the co-founding director of the Global Immersion Project, a peacemaking training organization that is activating the North American church as an instrument of peace. He's also on staff with Thresholds as a missional church leadership coach and co-leads a neighborhood faith community where he lives he has a master's degree from Fuller Theological Seminary. Yes! Same as <laughs> yeah. uh, And Robert. he writes for numerous publications, including The Ooze, Red Letter Christian, Sojourners, Relevant Magazine, and Burnside Writers Collective. He's written a few books teaching through the art of storytelling thin places six postures for creating and practicing missional community and most recently and kind of the focus of what we're talking about today mending the divides creative love in a conflicted world he wrote that with jer swigert i think i got it swigert like i think i got it.
1: Swigert. Swagger. swagger not He's like totally jimmy swagger knows. swagger no. uh
0: he lives no. in san diego with his wife jan and four kids so welcome john welcome to the podcast
1: Awesome. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Hey, uh, we're excited. uh, San Diego, what is it, 75 and sunny right now?
1: It is 7 a.m., and I am in shorts and a t-shirt and sandals. Welcome to October. (laughs) Oh, oh, I love San Diego.
0: I spent a lot of time there, and uh, I miss it. I haven't been back in a while. um, It's not bad. But yeah, so John, uh, John's outside. He's in a truck.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he's getting run over he's right getting
4: now. getting run over by a truck. He's, he's by the San Diego airport.
1: When I don't know what to say, I just hold my phone up against the airplane and the traffic. Yeah, to make myself sound smarter. So if you've
0: ever flown into San Diego, flying into the airport is rather an interesting thing. Yeah. Because you're, like, flying by buildings. You can see people working in their buildings <laughs> as you fly right. by. It's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, so, John, um, you wrote a book called Mending the Divides creative love, creative love in a conf- conflicted world, and we are definitely a conflicted world. We are definitely a conflicted country. And I wanted to start out with kind of a generic question of why do you think um, there is so much division uh, in our culture? And I wanted to I wanted to read something from the book um, that you wrote, which which goes like this: is Confl- conflict, hatred, and injustice are becoming the norm." both close to home and around the globe broken systems break people in our communities neighborhoods and in our communities neighborhoods are disintegrating based on race orientation documentation and association on an interpersonal level we are unable to engage in constructive discourse exchanging it for debate and posturing so i wanted i wanted to have you talk a little bit about why you think that is true and why there is so much division in our culture right now.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that seems to be the million dollar question. I think one of the ways that we're, we're thinking about it and have experienced it is that in, in general, there is a perception that conflict is, um, is a terrible thing. It, you know, the typical fight or flight mechanism jumps in and we either move towards conflict with weapons to win and to destroy and it perpetuates a conflict or, we simply walk away from it passively because we don't have the tools to engage it well. It's scary, and and that also perpetuates and continues conflict. And so I, I think um, right now that it, it, we're using mechanisms to deal with conflict like um, divisive rhetoric and um, you know bombing campaigns and theological. Uh, we're doing some theological judo to justify the perpetual <laughs> the perpetuation of of conflict, and I think a large part of this has to do with the fact that we just don't have we don't have the tools to engage conflict well, right. and and that's a big piece of what we're talking about in this book is to say, hey, why why have we inherited a framework for conflict that sees it as um, sees it as a problem, uh, even as a problem to solve? John Paul Lederach, one of our our mentors, would say conflict isn't a problem it's actually an opportunity for transformation we just have to have the tools to engage it well and so
0: so you would say um, people don't have good tools and so it causes instead of an opportunity it becomes divisive
1: that's exactly it like we we watch our favorite news channel and and we get our talking points, and then we barf out our talking, talking points on our social media or around our holiday table, mm-hmm. and our instant reaction is to get defensive and hold our ground, or it's just to run away from it. And so we have all of this conflict is boiling, and it's actually beginning to not only divide the relationships around our table, it's beginning to continue to um, create stigma and stereotype around whoever our other is, whether it's someone on the other side of the world or it's someone on our street who looks or thinks or believes differently than we do. And so there's just a there's a massive um, a massive need for tools to engage conflict well. And what we found is when we have those and when we actually move towards conflict and see it as an opportunity for transformation, God's best work happens in the world. And mm-hmm. that's the church's work, And you know, it's, it's it's largely the work the church has has not done well. We're, we're if it, if anything specifically speaking myself as a white, you know, Historic evangelical pastor in the United States, we've we've not done well at mending the divides of our world.
2: Hmm. John, um, so we desire. So you know, this all this conflict in the world, uh, we desire peace. What's your definition of peace? I'm guessing it's not the absence of conflict, since what you've just said. And how does it begin with the yeah. right definition of peace help in peacemaking?
1: Yeah, it's it's critical, and I think this is one of the one of the things you've run into with writing a book on on peacemaking and now it's this isn't this isn't just a book this is our vocation and livelihood um as a peacemaking training organization but there's just so much stigma and stereotype around peace that often associated with peace is you know unicorns and fairy tales and you (laughs) know tie-dye shirts and volkswagen buses and a a cute (laughs) idea that sits at thirty thousand feet and you know, you get the patronizing pat on the back, like, hey, good luck with that. Yeah. That sounds great. Good luck peace. with peace. Peace in the world. That's, everybody everybody's <laughs> yeah. peace. And that makes sense. And I, and we've done a lot of work to, to kind of chronicle why that perception is, is true, both theologically and culturally, and then what's going on in our world right now. Um, but we define peace as a holistic repair of severed relationship. Hmm. And uh, we make the argument that, you know, from, from the beginning of our story, our sacred text— um, we we read in Genesis a God who created all things whole. There was a, there was a shalom, there was a peace, and when that story breaks and humanity tries to grab the fruit of power in Genesis three, God makes it God's mission to continually become the peacemaker to heal what was broken in Genesis in Genesis one. So peace ultimately is is a holistic repair of relationship between myself and God and my neighbor and all of creation and the cosmos. And so peace is a holistic repair relationship, and the journey towards peace requires tangible tools that allow us to move towards conflict well to see that God's transformative work actually happens in that space. Hmm. Good stuff.
4: So with with that definition of, of peace, you, you talk about the importance of being an everyday peacemaker. Um, could you kind of elaborate on that and, and tell... Tell the people listening how they can kind of grasp onto this definition and possibly become an everyday peacemaker in a time of of restless uh, division.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, part of our work in destigmatizing peace and peacemaking is saying, "Hey, this isn't again. This isn't something that just happens around international treaties. Um, <laughs> this is something that happens around again our holiday tables that we can all think of. <laughs> the holidays are coming. Yeah. Thanksgiving and Christmas are looming, and lack that probably of, lack of peace for a lot for of a lot people, people right? here. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so, what does it mean for us to take this as you know our daily work? We would say that peacemaking uh, is. It's the journey of discipleship. It is a way of life. It's ultimately the way of life that Jesus invites us into. So we define every day as um, as three spaces, our interpersonal relationships, uh, local injustices that are real on our streets that we have to engage, and then international conflict. So interpersonal, local, and international. And for us, you know, what does it mean to be an everyday peacemaker? It means to have the tools when I... Um, Am up with my kids all night long, and I wake up, and my wife and I look at each other crooked because we're so exhausted. Yeah. And we know that we could say one thing that's just going to accelerate an argument before work starts and everything else, or in that moment, I could actually ask a good question. <laughs> and we talk a about smart man. You are a smart man, John. <laughs> hey, I'm talking in theory right now. Happy life, happy life. But what does it mean for us in those moments? to listen longer than feels comfortable when you're sitting mm-hmm. with that person who has a very different political perspective than you do. Yeah. What does it mean to listen longer than feels comfortable to to ask questions um, seeking to understand rather than to be understood imagine that like imagine entering in a conversation where you're actually genuinely trying to understand someone rather than just continue to get our agenda across to prove yeah, a point that's good um, what does it mean to have the eyes to see the people we've been taught not to see on my streets i live in a migrant neighborhood you know i've been taught not to see people who have a darker hue skin than i do and i haven't certainly haven't been taught to see people who don't have documentation status the same as mine hmm. so what does that mean as an everyday peacemaker it means i not only see those people, I begin to build relationships. I begin to learn from them, not just offer products and resources to them and see that my flourishing is interdependent with theirs. Mm.
0: That's good stuff. Um, now I want, so to make it really practical in the book, uh, you live in a neighborhood called golden Hill in San Diego, right? That's right. And, uh, you talk a lot about your neighborhood in the book. Um, tell us kind of some practical things that you did, to pursue peace there and some of the lessons that you learned. Uh, you, you talk in the book about starting a farmer's market and you also talk about like a woman named Gail, her story. Uh, so yeah. I wonder if you can elaborate on those, those efforts towards peace and, and the things that you have done in your community at Golden Hill, which I get from the book is pretty a racially diverse community um, and just kind of speak to, like what you did in your context,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, the first thing for for us in our community, I'm part of a, a little faith community that all commits to live in the same neighborhood and share a common way of life and mission here. And so you know the some of the first steps we took um, or big desires we had is what does it mean for us to live as a reconciling presence in the midst of these streets? You know that again, peace isn't something that's at 30,000 feet, it has to infect our everyday and impact the way our community functions. Because ultimately, that's even a reflection of the Jesus we follow to our neighbors, how we live together and how we engage locally. And so um, we began to, to see our, our neighborhood as our classroom. Like, how do we walk these streets and share in relationships to learn um, what God is up to and ways that we can join in? And, and for us, as we did that, it looked like going—like, our first practice of everyday peacemaking is to see the humanity, the dignity, the image of God in everyone. Well, in, in order to see those that, that reality, we have to be students. And so it meant going down to our local library and and reading old police records of the story and the narrative of our streets and the places where conflict and violence was condensed. And um, this is a historic neighborhood for moving drugs. and um, And who were the communities that were most often popping up on these reports and it looked like, um, saying, Hey, yeah, what, what are the, what are the actual tangible ways that we can, um, bridge divides between, you know, the new hipster coffee shop and the historic Mexican bakery. Mm -hmm. And it might just mean, you know, that we are committed to shopping at places that support migrant entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And, um, for me, it looked like starting a farmer's market, you know, to get local, farmers a, a space to actually not only support their economic livelihood, but to be integrated into the life of our community, rather than just continuing to um, kind of stay isolated insulated from one another. What would it mean if we actually shared a street every Saturday morning? And, and so to be able to be part of that and to see the life that came about as a result has been incredible. I mean, I had a...
0: Now, in the book, you, though, you did talk about some of the challenges with that, too.
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean... <laughs> It wasn't just like 75% of our hopes for, for, um, being an instrument of peace here didn't work. I mean, that's just Mm. like, that's, that's, I'm so glad you brought that up. Like, you know, as I'm walking with my neighbor, Larry, as he's navigating addiction for the third time, you know, and I'm entering into relationship, you know, by seeing him, by immersing into a story beginning to contend for him, these are the practices we talk about in the book you know, there's no guarantee we're going to see restoration. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Larry, we were moving forward. We had given so much to one another and then he relapsed and I haven't heard from him for like three years. And Mm. and it's tragic. And you mourn and you lament that. And that is the reality of living into this is it's, it's not always going to end the way we want it to, but it's a way of life that we have to remain faithfully committed to. Yeah. And, Um, And when restoration happens, you know, this is the fourth practice we talk about when restoration happens, which we would describe as, you know, these mustard seeds of the kingdom of God, that resurrection is actually happening. It's happened and it's happening. Mm -hmm. When it happens, we got to celebrate like crazy. Like those of you that are listening in, when you see God's fingerprints um, of Shalom break in your relationships and on your streets and in our world, you celebrate it, you mark it and you acknowledge that that's actually God's best work in the world. And, it's the stuff that fuels us to continue to lean in, because there, again, there's no guarantee it's going to end that way. In fact, from our experience, we've failed a lot more than we quote unquote succeeded. Yeah. yeah.
2: Hey, John, can you talk a little bit more about those steps? I mean, you obviously just really gave us a beautiful uh, definition and understanding of what restore is, but you you and you talked about seeing and immersion and contending. Can you talk a little bit more about those? those three and what those like practically look like i didn't
0: i don't think you talked about content so yeah Yeah. so so yeah yeah if you could lay out those four things that'd be that'd be awesome
1: yeah so the the premise um of our peacemaking framework is that Um, restoration is the mission of God, and it's the vocation of God's people. God is trying to restore all things, and it's our job to join in that. And so
4: that's
1: the theological foundation. What we see throughout the narrative of Scripture most explicitly in the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus is a God who sees, immerses, contends, and restores. So Mm. we define seeing as seeing the humanity, the dignity, the image of God in everyone. So this is really the confessional piece where we're having to do some work to say who have we, like I said earlier, who have we been taught to see based yeah. on our upbringing, and who we've, who have we been taught not to see. I yeah, mean, we cool. have. You guys talked about you did the, talked a little bit about the NFL kneel down. Like, there is systemic racism marbled into the infrastructure of our nation. Yeah, I am a white straight Christian guy. I don't understand. I don't see the reality of my black neighbors like I should unless i become a student of it and ultimately i never will until unless i actually experienced it myself but that's why this is a practice let's confront those blind spots in our lives allow god and others to shine a flashlight on those dark corners and say hey this is something you need to identify and repent of in order to begin to move forward so so we first have to see uh the, the second practice is to immerse what does it mean you know, in, real quick, in Jesus' life, you know, we, Jesus models seeing so beautifully everything from, you know, seeing the woman in John 4 who's a Samaritan, which is like a, someone who could compromise ritual purity. A woman is seen as a second class citizen in a patriarchal context. Jesus sees the humanity, the dignity, the image of God in her. Jesus sees the humanity, the, the dignity, the image of God in the, even the executioner, the person who's putting him to death. Jesus sees that person and says, "Father, forgive them." I mean, it's, it's a stunning practice
4: yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, that our culture and our church is not modeling well, and we have a lot of work to do there. And the second practice is to immerse. So, what does it mean to to enter into conflict with tools to heal rather than tools to win? So, this is our posture of, "Okay, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to actually move towards conflict, but not with the typical framework of blow people up or <laughs> not with a grenade launcher. I'm going to
0: win. I'm going to win, baby." <laughs>
1: that's it like that is that, we we could call that peacemaking if we want but it has nothing to do with the life and teachings of Jesus and so <laughs> no. you know this that, that's beat, the radical nature of Jesus right? teaching too is like I, I often sit at the feet of um of peacemakers from from the three monotheistic traditions Jews Christians and Muslims and what's unique about our teaching and Jesus teaching is Jews and Christians and Jews and Muslims go as far as saying we are to called to love our neighbors Jesus says we are called to love our enemy yeah mm-hmm. like it is a earth-shattering reality and right. so in so for us to immerse means we don't we can't enter these conflicts with with the, the tools and weapons of war we have to move with tools to transform and yes yeah. in jesus it looked like being immersion looked like being completely vulnerable to the creation he mm-hmm. came to restore in the coming in the posture of a child rather than on the back of the white horse of the Roman Empire. And Um, You know, every kind of messianic expectation was blown up with how he arrived. And immersion looked like lingering for years and years and years on the shores of the Galilee um, before doing anything. And so what does immersion look like for us? How do we enter into our, you know, these realities and these um, relationships that uh, of people that might look or think or believe differently than we do? And we're asking better questions than we are offering answers necessarily or solutions.
4: John, can I just ask you? Oh, we only yeah. have a couple minutes. No, so no, he needs no you to go still go to got two more. You <laughs> okay. still got two more. All right. Let him finish the yeah.
1: two other ones. Yeah, I'll try to speed it up. Okay, right. so the third one is is to contend. So this is the justice element of our peacemaking framework. How are we actually, like, peacemaking is not passive. We're not saying we're neutral on everything. When there's injustice, we have to call it out, and we have to stand in front of any bulldozer that flattens people. Now, the great surprise is Jesus, in regards to fighting injustice and contending, was very clear about calling out systems and powers But the way Jesus contended wasn't um, through military overthrows, through death on the cross. And Mm -hmm. so what does it mean for us as everyday peacemakers to see, to immerse? And when we immerse into conflict and injustice, contending actually looks not like getting even but getting creative in love. So what are those practices that allow us to, you know, to undo conflict by getting creative and this like it, we have to do some storytelling to illustrate that but um that's that piece that's that's turning the other cheek that's walking the extra mile that's taking off all your clothes when they ask for your jacket uh that we read about <laughs> in, in matthew and and then this last practice is what i what i finished with and it's less a practice uh, and more a celebration of God's work right. in our world when we see immerse and contend, because we don't do the restoration ultimately, but we certainly participate in it. Um, and it's it's the it's the best work that that we can be part of, and and like I said, when we see it, we got to celebrate it. that's good.
4: yeah, sorry, my my one question about that. I mean, a lot of this is very biblical. you know we we've we've seen this a lot, kind of not these exact ideas but but a lot of the stuff that's been popping up has been similar to these ideals and it's powerful yeah. it's powerful stuff John i mean so my question is you know as we look at christians and we're saying these things to believers my my one thought is that the reason why people don't engage in this is because of their idol worship the things that they that they are putting more important than the gospel because if, yep. if they were to say, man, okay, I need to do this, it, it sacrifices a lot of stuff. What, what would you say are the idols in evangelical Christianity that are blocking people from seeing, immersing, contending, and restoring? Ooh,
1: I love that question. <laughs> uh, and I think we have a lot. But a, a couple that I think are really paralyzing the church right now is, um, I'll, I'll say two. One, we have an idol to safety. We think that safety and security is the utmost important reality we have to pursue. I get it. I have four little kids. Like I don't want to put them in harm's way. Sure. But the, like the call of following Jesus in our world isn't a call to safety. Yeah. It's to faithfulness. Like what does it mean to be faithful in this conflicted world? Not to remain safe right. uh, and insulated and isolated from the brokenness. It completely per- like it paralyzes us from being agents of reconciliation. And so we have an idol of safety. Um I I think the grand idol of our generation of this time is the church's marriage with empire uh, like we cloak our cross in nationalism yep. uh, rather than in the the blood-soaked wood of the cross Amen. like the self-suff, self-suffering of christ and we can't see like we have these cataracts in our eyes because we are looking primarily through the lens of red white and blue uh, rather than through the reality of the kingdom, and it's it's so married that not all, it, it allows us to, to justify things like the racism again that's marbled into our country's history, and to label it okay as part of our story, when in reality it's one of the deepest, darkest demons that we need to exercise. And in, so. In, um, yeah. I, I was just
4: going to say, if you look at history, you know, like we we purposely as the evangelical church laced that in there for the sole purpose of fighting communism. Right. I mean if you yeah. look at if you yeah. look at history, the anthem and the pledge, all of those were developed to unify the country under one flag, one banner, so that we yeah. wouldn't become communists. And so it was this the church was pushing and urging that, funding it, helping pay for that type of stuff to happen under God is what we wanted to put on our on our currency because we mm-hmm. still wanted God in there. Um That's right. but, but it was it was all reactionary.
0: It's just crazy. Yep. Hey, John, one of the things that you talk about in the book as an obstacle, too, I wish you could speak on for a moment, because I think as three of us as pastors see all the time is uh, the the obstacle of busyness.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is a very tangible one. <laughs> I think we all, I mean, I know I'm convicted of it regularly, is that if we are actually to be everyday peacemakers, we have to have the margin in our lives to actually be present to yeah. you know if we're looking at the, the parable of the good samaritan like the person who's dying on the side of the road if i have some objectives and some work to be done i'm often going to run by that person
0: mm-hmm.
1: if that person's on on one of my streets I gotta get to um, the
0: traveling sports team i can't stop and pick you up i gotta totally. go my kids yeah. got the orange slices <laughs> <laughs> I got,
1: I can't, and it's like I can't. it's good stuff like that of yeah. like orange right. slices for the kids soccer game or it's like no i need to go like I gotta go do some sermon prep or right. I gotta go do some ministry over here yep. and we're yeah. driving past the very broken people that God invites us to be part of. so yep. so busyness uh, margin this all goes back to the seed practice of just being taught to see the people we're often taught not to see and so what does it mean to do that? and we get really tangible in the book like let's open up our calendars and create some space. let's submit our calendars to close friends who give us some some feedback on on the pace of our lives and um, and, and really begin to get intentional about what it means to be president to all that is in front of us.
0: Hey, uh, so I, we got just a couple more questions. You got time for that?
1: I could do one more. I got my kids looking at me out the window now. <laughs> <laughs> I've made it back to the house. Ah, uh, They're like, <laughs> We need you, Daddy.
0: <laughs> well, oh, I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to push people. Okay, we'll ask one more question. I'm going to push people towards the book because you give some great strategies for everyday immersion in the book of how you can immerse yourself in the lives of others. And just really practical things like learning another language, sitting on your front, front patio. Hey, there they are. Sitting on your front patio rather than in your backyard, things like that, some real practical stuff. so I hope, I hope people yep. will pick the book up and read it so I guess the closing question we want to ask you is give us a picture of the kingdom of God as you see it here on earth like what are the what what does that look like what what to you does that look like if 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 it was in your neighborhood, what would that really look like?
1: Totally oh man. Um, I, I picture a, a, a diverse set of uncommon friendships. Uh, I, I picture, you know, black and brown and white people sitting at the same table together, seeing that their, their future and their flourishing is interdependent. Like we cannot um, just pick one, uh, one story to be the center. It's all of our story. I picture um, pastors in my city relinquishing this desire for accumulation and consumerism and posturing and to say, what is the work that God is doing in San Diego Mm. and how do we do that together, despite how many butts sit in our pews? Um, I picture neighbors getting glimpses of faith communities who say they follow Jesus, who actually are following Jesus, and they can't help but deny that that is actually good news in their life and on our streets um i i picture communities faith communities who have the ability to see um global conflict and not just default to the typical political talking points that we can transcend the binaries of republican and uh, democrat and left and right and us and them and actually have enough care for one another, to listen, uh, and to learn. So I think there's, and again, I don't think any of these are unattainable. I think this is all possible stuff and, and I expect and trust that God's going to make it real through our lives. Mm.
0: Awesome, good John, that is such good stuff. We loved having you on. Thanks for talking to us. Um, real quick, uh, where can people find you online if they, uh, want to read the rest of your stuff or, or things like that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. My personal, um, website is johnhuckins.net. Uh, I'm on Twitter at John Huckins. And, and that's J O N
0: J O N H U C K I N S.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's yep, it's no a good way, way to spell
0: John. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have another John like that here sitting at the Bingo. table.
1: We're so, rare. That's right. But and, um, otherwise, Global Immersion, the Global Immersion Project is my organization. We do, all we do is peacemaking training, and we do it in a lot of creative ways. So if you ever wanted to engage with us, we do uh, tr- actually leave on Friday for the Middle East, where I'll lead a delegation of uh, Christian leaders here from the States to go learn from our friends in the Middle East that are working for peace. We also have one down here at the border around immigration, San Diego and Tijuana. We do workshops and consulting for churches, so uh, feel free to engage with us um, online, websites, otherwise. Very, Very cool.
0: cool. The book is Mending the Divides. It's John Huckins, Creating Creative Love in a Conflicted World. Thanks, John. Go enjoy your kiddos. You bet. Thanks, John. Thanks, thanks, All thanks, right, John. thanks, thanks
1: for coming it. on. Thanks. Alright, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
3: Turn us on the golden rule, and I wanna jump from the ship of fools. Show me a place where hope is young and the people who are not afraid to love this world.
0: here on post christian pastors wow that was good guys yeah man was that really was good. great I was like drinking cold water after you've been running around all day and you come inside and it's 95 degrees outside and you just take a nice big glass of cold refreshing water it was refreshing
2: it was it was yep. refreshing to the
0: soul refreshing uh talking to john just about uh man because it feels like It feels like when you walk out into our culture, you're walking out into the 95-degree heat pounding down on you, and uh, we need some refreshing to come. We need times of refreshing to come. Uh, Any thoughts that you guys had? I know, Marv, you had a story that you wanted to tell about some of the division, even in your own uh, neighborhood.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just this idea of peacemaking. It's uh, With all the stuff that's going on with uh, the— the political issues and the racial issues. Uh, I think we have a tendency to think, oh, that's out there, but it's in my neighborhood. I, I live in a predominantly uh, African American neighborhood. My wife and I purposely moved into a neighborhood that was not like ourselves, um, so that we can, you know, kind of immerse ourselves in what he's been talking about. But one of the things that we've noticed is we we're part of a a, a hockey league, a hockey deck league, and ninety nine percent of the people that play hockey are, are white and uh the the hockey deck is actually in a uh, predominantly african american community and so there's a playground on one side and a hockey deck on the other and uh recently you know my my wife and i we've been doing hockey with with our kids for uh 3 years now and just recently we've noticed this huge divide of white people black people uh and, and there's been all kinds of uh ridiculous things that have been said by The white folks on the hockey deck uh, to the kids themselves, and they've called the cops on them for really no reason. Uh, I just remember this one point. This this woman uh, went up to these kids who were playing. They were just playing, and maybe they were loud and distracting. And who cares? Like it's a hockey game. It's not that big a deal. Like <laughs> it's, it's a park. Yeah, they're, 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 it's a kids' hockey game. Right. right. And it's uh, not a shrine or a mausoleum. Right. It's
0: not the library, lady.
4: <laughs> so she goes over to them and says, "You have to leave." And they're like, "Well, why?" And she's like, "Well, you just have to go. You're you're being a disturbance." And uh, they look at this lady and, and they say, "This is our park. This is." where we live and she looks at them and says well the only reason you have a park and a place to live is because white people are paying your taxes and i'm just like this is ridiculous and this woman comes up to me tells me this story of what just transpired thinking i'm an ally and i say ma'am i don't believe you i don't i don't i think this is stupid and when the cops eventually came i went up to the cop and i said look they've done nothing wrong they've just been playing they're only getting called on because they're black i said this is ridiculous and the next day I showed my son and pointed out like, hey, over here where, where people are on the deck are all white people and they're avoiding the, the, the young black kids. I said, w- w- what's going on? He's like, well, yeah, they're over here. They're over there. I was like, well, let's go hang out with, with our friends. Let's go build a bridge and and make this divide stop. And so we went and we played football with the community kids that live right there, which is basically our neighborhood as well. Mm-hmm. And many of these kids, my son knew from school. And so we just hung out and we're playing football. And no one since we've been advocating just by being with them, no one has approached them or asked them to leave. Mm, yeah. uh, and so it's just this interesting this interesting thing that's going on where we need people who are peacemaking. Now, I don't tell that story to pat myself on the back. I probably should have done it a lot earlier than I did. Right. right. But there's this sense of what John is talking about is so imperative for us to capture as believers, especially, uh, because we need peacemaking uh, efforts and we need everyday peacemakers. And we, yeah. live,
0: we live here in the city of Bridges and we need more bridges. Absolutely. We yeah. need more bridges everywhere.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I think, you know, John's book, uh, I haven't read it, Mark, you read it, but just talking to him, you know, I'm super interested in reading it. I think another, another guest that we had on back um, in the fall, Scott Sauls, uh, has written a book called Befriend that we talked about, which, again, kind of gets to what Marv was talking about, is how do, we, how do we befriend people who are different than we are, right? Yeah. And that's, that's a huge part of this, you know, peacemaking uh, endeavor, yeah. is to befriend people and to and to see how do we um how do we you know you know uh, live out our call as as followers of christ in those in those situations so just remind remind our uh, listeners of of that uh book as well and you know one thing that John talked about that i we didn't get a chance to talk about, but I just really loved his his you know talk about you know safety is one of the idols that we struggle yeah. with, and I think that's huge and i you know I think about I've been preaching through the book of Acts and I, you know, look at the life of Paul and, you it know... It wasn't I, safe at all. <laughs> no. There was no safety there at all. And Jesus, you know, tells Paul, you know, take courage. That, that's the words that Jesus says to Paul. Mm-hmm. Take courage. And I just think, you know... Jesus is with us, you know. Like He says, "Take up your cross." What's the? That's the least safe thing you could ever say to somebody in a, yeah. in the Roman Empire. And yeah, people signed up for it. Yeah, that's the crazy right. thing, right? Take up your cross, and it's like, where have we as as like as particularly American Christians? Where have we taken our faith that has excluded that that call of Jesus yeah. to take up your cross, and then? in that process to take courage, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's, we don't want, we don't want to talk about that. We don't even want to think about it. Yeah, comfort, um,
4: comfort is everything. I mean, you know, like I think it's, it goes hand in hand. I mean,
2: it, and I'm I, not just pointing finger at people out there. No, I, I, no. I, 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 I struggle with the same thing myself. Uh, no, I
4: understand. Sure, I mean, we love comfort, you know, even, all of us. even like when I talked about moving into the, the, the neighborhood that my wife and I moved into six years ago, Ever since we've done that, my mother-in-law says, well, how, how can I get your house in Shaler? Like, what are we going to do? Like, how, can we do this? Can yeah. we do that? I like, am we, we laugh every time because it's, it's that sense of, well, right. I, you know, my grandbaby's there. I want them to be safe. I right. want you to be safe. Um, but, you know, I think once we recognize and understand that we're not called to a comfortable faith. Right. Because I think that many American Christians think that Christianity is comfortable. Right. Um, and it, or it, it should be. It should, but it right. it shouldn't be. It should right. disturb us. It should. Yeah. It should cause
0: us to be uncomfortable. Right. Um, I, th- I think you know. Uh, one thing that keeps popping into my head is, is Jesus saying to uh, those of us who are believers, saying, you know, if the salt loses its saltiness, what, it out. what good is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I often think that things like comfort and busyness and um, uh, politics mm-hmm. and uh, other things are causing us to lose our saltiness. Yeah. And lack of a theological basis for what we do. It feels like people don't go deep in their in their faith to understand why they do what they do or why they should believe the right what things they should believe and things they should let go of. I mean that's all part for me has been watching the church lose its saltiness. Mm-hmm. It just and no wonder nobody wants anything to do with it anymore. Why is the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not nuns, yeah. are yeah. Catholic brothers and sisters, right. but why are the nuns uh, people who are saying, I don't affiliate with any church, I don't affiliate with any, why is that growing? Well, because yeah. when the salt loses its saltiness, and we can blame everybody else. But it, really, we're all part of it, right? It's I all... mean, and,
4: and even if you know you you listen to this podcast, you took a stance or something that John or myself or John or Mark said, and you're already polarizing us from it. I think that's part of the issue as well. We have to listen well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that John Huckins was talking about. Yep. Because it, our immediate response, as he mentioned, is to get defensive. You know, right. and, and callous. Like, well, you know, because earlier in the podcast, I had said that, you know, singing a song to a flag can, can be idolatrous. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I were to pick up a box and start saying, oh, box, how wonderful. Like, you guys would be like, what? You're crazy. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not like, oh, I'm not. Oh, how what,
3: wonderful.
4: <laughs> oh, how marvelous. And what I'm not saying is that, that that's wrong, but I'm saying right. it sets us up for a potential issue. And many people have crossed the divide of celebration of patriotism into idolatry without noticing it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you go back, like this is episode 19 of this podcast, if you go back and listen to even the one we did on transgenderism, Mm -hmm. we let people who believe different than the three of us. Yeah. The Significant difference. With the mic here too. To believe different than us, but we let them talk. And mm-hmm. and there were parts where uncomfortable for us. I mean, it was uncomfortable for me. And I wanted to jump in and I wanted to say this and I wanted to say that. And I'm sure there were people listening to the podcast that went, You should have jumped in. You should have mm-hmm. said this. Or you should have said this. And I'm like, you know what? I just felt like I wanted to give them and we wanted to give them yeah. right. space for them right. to just say what talk, they need to say yeah. just talk and I'm not not that I have to agree with you but and if I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode and it was just to let people express yeah. their story mm-hmm. not that I have to agree with it not that I there there were parts of that I thought were were not valid and 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 selfish in many ways right but that but I just we needed to let mm-hmm. them talk yeah. and and so I don't feel bad about not Diving in on every little thing they had to say and, and having, well, then having they to would be, shut
4: down having to be right, right? You know,
0: yeah
4: And I think John talked about that. It's it's not about being right It's about listening
0: mm-hmm. uh,
4: because the only way that we can contend For the people that are other than us is to listen to what they need right. contention for right, right? right? I mean because like na- na- Natural basic rights like Ryan Phipps would talk about on that one. We all agreed that, people all need basic natural rights. Mm -hmm. Now we can disagree on what that looks like, but we can agree that all people need basic human rights.
2: Um, And one thing I I think was good that John said, I don't know how, you know, he didn't spend a lot of time there, but you know, he doesn't believe that there isn't truth. Right. Right. He doesn't believe that there isn't a right way, so to speak, but he's not afraid to hear from other people, and I think that's a huge aspect. Is that you know we sometimes equate the truth with um, if I if I have the truth, I'm right, and therefore I have to be heard mm-hmm. in totality, and and I win because I have the truth. Right, and that can be a really um, that can lead to a lot of. Um, difficulty in, in relationships. Yeah. It can, it can continue the conflict. It doesn't help to, to stay with the conflict. Right.
0: And I think one of the challenging things is, I thought about this is like the advocacy part of what he said is, am I willing as a Christian to advocate for people I might disagree with? And I think about the story of the woman caught in adultery, Mm -hmm. right? So she's wrong. She's caught in adultery. She's wrong. Okay, her life is out of control, but Jesus advocates for her life, not knowing i mean we could we could say he's God, he know, but we don't know if she'll ever turn around and if she'll ever be different from this moment yeah. and if she'll ever do what he says, which is go and sin no more, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. And we could say, well, he knows what's going to happen. Also. Okay, let's just for a moment set that aside and said he advocates for somebody who is totally different than him. He's the holiest guy in the room, right? Mm-hmm. He's the he's the he is holiness. Mm-hmm. He's he's there. He advocates for someone who is not, and then he and then he he continues to advocate for her when he says, "I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more." And I wonder if Christians were really willing to do that, advocate for people that. That we don't know if we don't know what the turnout's gonna be. We don't know if they're gonna ever believe what we believe. But are we willing to advocate mm-hmm.
4: for yeah. them? Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes down to Jesus' mission. He said, "I did not come to condemn the world, but to seek and save the lost." Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I'm we, glad he advocates for me, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I need it. <laughs> and the reality, the reality is, is, that we go back to the human brokenness of the shooting. Right? We are all broken. We all have the capacity for ridiculous evil. But yet, Christ died for us. Now, if He came to condemn us, we would already be, you know, judged and, and signed and sealed and delivered to Satan. Right. But what He did was He sought sought us out and he brought salvation to our lives right and our job as the church is to do the same thing right to not condemn the world but to seek and save the lost where right. are the lost who are they how can we bring them by the power of the holy spirit into salvation to understand who god is and it's not through condemnation right, right. it's not it's not through condemnation And
2: that's a great point i think that we have to keep in in view is that jesus did not come to condemn but to seek and save the lost. But Jesus says, I will come again in judgment. Right. right. It's not, so, he hasn't come yet. Right. He hasn't come yet. And so it frees us up as Christians to actually live out the ethic of the kingdom and and what Jesus said to seek and that save. Because we give that to him. Yeah. Right.
4: He's the judge. Well, he He's says the one who... In Matthew 7. <laughs> right. He says, who's the judge yep. of man? Right. He said, God. Right. He said, do not judge lest right. you too be judged. Right.
0: The, church, the church's strategy for so long, instead of see, immerse, contend, and restore, has been, I don't see you, I stay away from you, yeah. I don't fight for you, I fight against you, and I condemn you. Yeah. I mean, if you look at that, there, that's been our four yeah. steps for a lot of has churches. Been, yeah, has been, and we got to change it. So, yeah. hey, we thank you all for joining us today on the podcast. Um, again, our prayers, condolences, our thoughts are with those in Las Vegas, and we are uh, just brokenhearted as you are probably listening to this. And we hope that whenever you listen to this, things have have turned the corner for the better. We hope that somehow good has come out of great evil, and um and we we continue to pray for them and and lift them up Hey, if uh, you want to ever listen to some of our old episodes, you can find us on iTunes or wherever podcasts are heard on Android phones and Android or, or Apple. Anywhere you find podcasts, you can find us. You can also find us on Facebook at Pastors. Leave us a comment there. Just don't be nasty. And uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we miss Mike today. Yeah. Uh, hello, Mike. Yeah. Sorry hello, you Mike. couldn't be with us.
4: Yeah. So we are signing off. So I'm Mark. I'm John. I'm Marv. And don't let your Samsung burn your pocket if you listen to it on Android. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're out. See y'all later. Peace. Bye-bye.